There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The main thing about going back in the woods is this. It's to let somebody know that they're cared for as a human being. Doesn't matter how drunk they are. Doesn't matter what's going on in their life. And to listen to them. People just want to be recognized that they're alive. I'm here. Nobody cares, but I'm here. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the enterprise editor at the Times. Recently, Lane and I were in New Orleans at the Conference for the Society for Features Journalism. Those guys put on a great event. So if you've never gone, definitely keep your calendar free for next year in Detroit. We got a chance to reunite with old friends, and we sat down to talk to those former colleagues about stories we chased back in the day while we all worked at the Virginian Pilot. Denise Watson still works at the Pilot as a features writer, and she once worked for me on our narrative team. Vicki Cronus-Noe, a photographer with a passion for storytelling, recently took a buyout and will be moving to the D.C. area soon. If you're looking for a great photojournalist up that way, we can hook you up. In the meantime, today's topic, war stories. Princeville was like the, the precursor to Katrina, right? It was this horrible uh, hurricane that came through, and it had a bunch of inland flooding, and it flooded this, the Tarboro River. Floyd, right? Wasn't it Hurricane Tar River. Floyd? Tar, Tar River. River. Oh, sorry, River. <laughs> okay. It was. Oh, All right, wait. It was the uh, first incorporated black town yeah, in the country. In it was country, very right. historic. Yeah. Which yeah. is, and I think, it, why we really focused on it so for that year, right? Right. We did. Were they going to rebuild or were they going to just fold their tents and leave? Right. And it was very similar to the New Orleans thing in terms of like the, the black town was on the bottom side of the river and then the rich white right. people were on the high side of That's the river. Right. So none of the big white mansions got flooded, That's but right. all the whole town of Princeville was under 11 feet of water. Oh, it's amazing nobody died. So back in the day when we had more resources and a lot yeah. of newspapers, but we sent, so Lane and Vicki were one team and then Diane Tennant and Lawrence Jackson were another team. And they right. traded off, and we did a year-long series. And as I recall, we didn't. We had sort of a few themes in mind, but we basically sent you guys down there, and the series was called "Return to Princeville." And we, mm-hmm. you know, the the idea was, yeah, that whole tension of whether they would rebuild or not. So, mm-hmm. well, our, our first entree into that was I remember that um, we had done a story about the Coast Guard rescue swimmers like a big story about people becoming rescue swimmers. And they liked the story, and they were like, oh, if we can ever do anything for you. And then like two weeks later, the hurricane came, and Vicki and I went to Elizabeth City and said, can we get on a helicopter with the rescue people? And they were like, uh, okay. And so we, we spent that whole night. The EOC. Up the, oh, you were on that too. I was. You did a lot of things, Vicki. I did. Okay. Yeah, I we, did. we got the like infrared goggles. We were wearing we the jumpsuits. The... Like we look like Coast Guard. Yeah, and they so, let us fly with them, but then they had to pick up people off these roofs, and and so we had to get put off at one point at a, a, 
uh, at the emergency the, yeah the emergency management shelter center they That's dropped all us the, off there all the survivor victim people were coming in and we looked like we blended i don't think people knew what we were doing i mean we <laughs> looked like coast guard we walked in with the coast guard and and all the other survivors the people at the center were just we just roamed around and did our thing and nobody messed with us and we didn't know we were going to be there for like three days they like dropped us off we had no clothes we had no like clean underwear water nothing we were just like here's the shelter boom and then they were gone again they rescued some more people and i you know what i didn't even know what we were getting into like i had no idea i was off that day and abby's like i need you to go to elizabeth city and get on a helicopter and i'm like okay and it was dark i had no flash and we're I mean, it was so dramatic. We're in the helicopter. They're pulling these people in. And I'm like, I couldn't get any pictures because I had no flash. It's really. And then we were there for two days. I think two or three days, yeah. So they, we, you could see when you were flying over these roofs, the, the water was up to the top of yeah. the roofs. And there were people, families, whole families on the roof yeah. with just one little flashlight, like, sitting mm-hmm. down the helicopter. I think we did yeah. a good job back in the day of, um, you know, jumping off of breaking news, things like that, into deeper enterprise, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. you know, so Denise, talk about going to Georgia. Talk about doing the Red Horse story. Right. Oh, gosh. It, I think I was relatively new to the team at that point. The narrative team. The, the narrative team. So right. Lane had left, and Lane Denise left. got yeah. Lane's I took, spot. I took her spot. Oh, did you? Yes. Yeah. Where have you been? <laughs> I, you know what? I just must operate on a need-to-know basis. Okay. I, I, just, like, I, didn't I remember that. I think I put out a memo. <laughs> nice. yeah, I went through the whole interview process, sweating like a pig. I thought you I were on that. the original team. No, no, no. Okay. Matter of okay. fact, I did the last Princeville story because I went back a year later when the no, it was a church that was being constructed. Right. Um, I think Chris Tyree might have been the photographer, but I went back on the mm. end of the church finally being erected, but. It was the anniversary of the Red Horse right. plane which, crash. Which, yeah, the National Guard squadron that crashed. The, it was based in Virginia Beach, and, and they, they were coming, coming back, back from, training. from a training and crashed in, in what's the name of the city? Unadilla, Georgia. Unadilla, Georgia. And Population we were, 2000. And we were thinking about an anniversary story. Yeah, didn't know what it could be, but so, you had more confidence in me than I did. So you were like, I'm just sending you down to Georgia. Yes. Do I, do I want to even... Talk yeah. about yeah, go there. Going to the deep south. Okay. I so. sent my black reporter to the deep south. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> you know it wasn't the 60s. No, I was no, a little no. more confident than you <laughs> that it would be all right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I had my personal concerns, but I was just you just sent me down there and said go look for a story, and I just I just froze because I really 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 obviously wanted to do a good job since y'all were paying so much to send me to. Unadilla, Georgia. Um, <laughs> yeah, had, there's a hot spot. <laughs> yeah. I remember we had to fly into Macon, Georgia, and I was told that Rick James had just left. I'm like, hello. The Macon, Georgia airport. <laughs> I'm like, you kidding me? You know, uh, baggage claim was like this little yeah. drive-through window. But um, so we need to get the Air Force or somebody to take us out to John Allen Bryant's place because he owned the farm. It was like 1,200 acres. And I'm still not knowing what the um, story is. And this farmer comes out of his house and he yeah, has a neurostomy bag. Yeah. And he's coughing, and we find out that he has, he's recovering from cancer or he might still have it. Did he want to fix you up with his son? <laughs> that might have been part of it. But, oh, maybe but it was me. I think, yeah, I think it was me. <laughs> He was really charming. 
sweet, sweet man, but we still... I'm getting to the way Farmer wanted to fix... No, no, wait, it was you. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people, you know... Yeah, I had the. I fortunately had a very good reception down in. Okay, this isn't a me too thing. All right, let's keep going. But we drive out to the field, and so we asked him. We said, "Take us to the spot where the plane crashed." And I remember when he there was a a fireman's hat in the field. It was a Chesapeake fireman's hat, and when he reached over and he brushed some of the dirt away, and I was like, "That's the story," because he just cared so much about. These guys, guys he never met, and there was uh, like a newspaper clipping, Virginia Pilot newspaper mm-hmm. clipping on a um, a light pole. So we had all of these like local touches in this Georgia field, mm-hmm. and he planted cotton, but he left this patch of dirt for what he called the boys. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if we had cell phones back in that time, but I, mm-hmm. I called you later. I was like, Maria, I got a story. I don't have to write an essay. I have a story. <laughs> And he was just so sweet. He, yes, we he came was. back the next day, and we just we hung out with him, and he took us back, and he just sort of painted this picture. He talked about how the trees were on fire and, mm-hmm. you know, how he saw some of the bodies. Um, We've talked a little bit in the podcast about coming back at tragedy and, and, you know, going into those kind of stories. And I, I think that was one thing we did really well back then. Don't you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I just agree. sort of looking at those deeper possibilities and then giving you guys a chance to go uh-huh. to mm-hmm. go find them. Um, we were Before we started this recording, we were talking about the pilot had such a reputation for photography. And I think as writers and editors, we were trying to kind of play catch up to them because it was like... Oh, photographers. They were like, you know. That's so funny. That's, <laughs> I we always struggle with like anniversary stories, you know, and a lot of times people default to the like, oh, let's retell it, you know. Right, I mean? right. And, Instead and of I finding something new. Finding something new, both with Princeville mm-hmm. and with, you know, your, your Georgia Field story. It's like lo- looking for those things that, that linger, that still tell, you know, here's what happened that you can flash back to, but something new. I mean, I remember the one, the first lady who came back, remember she planted pansies in her front yard? Like, the whole town was, like, under mud and yeah. water, and all the houses were crap, but she wanted to plant pansies in her little garden, and just, like, uh-huh. something new, you know, mm-hmm. out of something tragic. How often did you all go back for, with Princeville? Was it once a we month? Went, once a month for a year. Yeah, yeah. we alternated. Oh, Hi. wow. Okay. Without. But we usually had a good peg. I feel like every time we went down, we we were telling you guys would hand off to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's talk about being storytellers. So, so you know, what brought you guys to this profession? What you love about it? What you still love doing? Mm. I know I'm tripping you up. Look, I can see the uh, piano. <laughs> I don't know. I'd love for Lane to start with. Yeah, that. Lane, this is your Get, yeah. podcast. Oh, I didn't really want to be a storyteller when I started out. I wanted to be a news reporter and, like, bust bad guys. And so I, <laughs> I, I thought that was what I was going to make my career out of. I never even thought about, like, narrative or, or uh, beginning, middle, end. It was like, how can I interestingly present some information? They didn't information? teach that in college when we were coming that. up, I don't think. Anybody? Really? No. no. I mean, I was lucky because no. I was an English major, so I was always a, a reader of stories and, and a consumer of novels rather than nonfiction mostly, you know. But And until you put that posting up in the, the bureau down there, I hadn't thought that you could do that in, in newspapers, you know. I, I told little stories because I was in a bureau and I was writing two or three stories a day, so I tried to tell little stories. Um but I, I didn't think about being a narrative writer until you wrote that beautiful post about, would you rather tell stories than sit in meetings? Hell yes, yeah. I would. <laughs> I, you know, to date myself, coming up in the 80s, it was very much like inverted pyramid. Oh, yeah. It was, oh, yeah. you know, 
time-starved readers and nobody has nobody wants to really read stories I mean even then before I joined the pilot I you know the photography was so tremendous the design was so great um, I remember connecting with Lynn Feigenbaum who was the daily mm-hmm. break editor at the time and the pilot in the sort of late 80s had a great reputation for writing and and then kind of did what a lot of papers did. They sort of USA today themselves and sort of mm-hmm. like, let's do all these quick hit stories. And 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 then it was like, well, we're not doing anything that anybody finds all that meaningful. Mm-hmm. So that was the rise of that team and why. And, and then I think... And that was in 1998. 1998. And mm-hmm. then I think trying to have you guys set the example for other people on staff and give encourage them. So... And I, I kind of feel like, you know, we're, we're at a place now where, I mean, these are these are still the kind of stories that people engage with and we get a lot of hits with and yeah. they, you know, and they stand the test of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah. they remember them. So you, talk, you guys talk a little bit about some of the projects you've worked on together. Well, you want to talk about Duncan? Oh, sure, yeah. Or Die? Um, we can start with Duncan first because okay. you approached me with that story, correct? Right. I did. So never turn down a photographer. Oh, yeah, sometimes we have good ideas. Um, <laughs> he was a, spent most of his life homeless. He was a alcoholic, addict. He was just, if yeah. you saw him kind on of one of Lane's people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like those people too, but he was probably, it's from the sounds of it, he was like somebody that you would just not even mm-hmm. want to be, you wouldn't want that person to approach and talk to you. He was just out of his mind kind of drunk all the time and belligerent and so what what's why is that a story well no <laughs> I didn't know him then yeah, it was yeah. A oh story. okay okay but after all these years he he with a lot of help got off the street and started a homeless advocacy group to kind of help the people he used to live with and um, he was pretty special so we kind of followed his ride and the goal was always to have a house Remember, he always wanted oh, yeah. a house. Oh, yeah. That's how I was able to talk Jim into just keeping the story going on. Oh, I think he's going to get a house soon. <laughs> Got to stay till the first people move into the house, you know, a transition house. Right. But um, it really became, it was a story about him. So that's a, wait, that's a piece of advice for everybody. Keep moving the goalpost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. We're exactly. not quite done yet. Well, kind of knowing where your ending though is, or where you want to end, right? Yeah. You weren't just following it yeah, indefinitely. Yeah, we were, we it was were like, waiting for him to get a house, but then, like, that summer, you followed him for, like, two years. You, mm-hmm. were, you were with him maybe a year before you pulled me in. And do mm-hmm. you remember why you pulled me in? Because originally, I think I thought it was just going to be a video. I talked with Randy, my director, and he said, yeah, this would be a great uh, thing for you to really practice your video skills on. I had never done a video. And I ended up doing a video with the project, but it turned into, it, I just realized he was so much more than just a video. Like you had, you had to write a story mm. because it, it was so rich. The opposite of despair is hope. And most people living out here, most of the people that come to Hope in the Upper Room uh, are in one form or another of despair. And that's what we offer is hope. What we try and do is to get people involved with each other, to feel like a community, to understand that we are brothers and sisters in life. There were so many things I loved about Duncan, but he was real. He's like, we're, never, we're not going to end homelessness, you know. Right. We're not going to end it. You know, the, the city can have all these commissions. It's not going to be done because a lot of people like they like that freedom. Cause that's mm-hmm. one of the things he talked about. 
And Some people are homeless by choice. Exactly. Because he would, I mean, he realized later that he was suffering from depression, but when life got too tough for him, he would just like literally le- just leave his house, leave his wife, He'd leave walk his out, kids. go into the woods and spend two years, and then he said, I wouldn't talk to a soul for two years. Just, yeah. Wow. Right. He, but, and, but that was his whole thing. It's like, if I can, profound change is possible. There's hope. There's always hope. And it, you know... Mm-hmm. It ended with okay. him dying. Lane, there's but always hope. Right? That. <laughs> yep. Neil, are you listening? <laughs> there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. But I mean, that was yeah. it. It was a story about hope. Yeah. And that was that, that, un, I think that was our one word because you always talked to us yeah. about what's the one word or what's the universal yeah. thing. And so yeah. that was no matter who you are, you have to believe in something right and i loved showing his evolution and then before the house came about he learned that he had cancer yeah i mean like stage four cancer he had some back pain and and he kept trying to figure out it's arthritis it's this it's that but he had undiagnosed hepatitis c Mm -hmm. that turned into liver cancer that but anyway so that's where the story ended yeah did he get a house no 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 He died. He, yeah. Oh, it I ends mean, with him dying? Oh, that's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. It, it was. was. Because the, he was such a success story to the people on the street. Duncan is like a legend. Because like, he, was, he was the worst of them. When and he, then, yeah. So when he came back and created Hope in the Upper Room and was helping them, it was like he was a rock star. When he was in the hospital, they had a waiting, they had a, a line of people waiting in the lobby to go see him. Yeah, they all came out of the woods and off the streets to where to he was. Him. Yeah, because you could he couldn't let... go to them anymore. Yeah. So it was yeah. just a, I mean, you know, you do these stories and, you know, you hope that you do a good story. But if you are changed by the story, isn't that amazing? I mean, that's like, but that I, was a life changer for me. How did it change your life? Well, it showed me that like, no matter what you're up against, you can change. Like, you just have to want it. And Duncan was the most charismatic guy. Oh, yeah. You could see. I mean, I think he'd been married I mean, like four or five times. He was so spiritual and so yeah. just giving up himself. It was it, it was just really a privilege, privilege to tell his story, I think. Oh, yeah. Because I think he was still alive when we when we wrote the story, and so the story ran. The first story. The first story, and so many people reacted to that story. Like I remember one oh guy was in a coffee shop. God, can I tell you the most? This is the most amazing thing, more than any other award ever. This was the best thing that ever happened. He became alienated from his daughter. Oh yeah. Because he was just, you know, a mess. Oh, this was years before. Yeah. 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 He hadn't seen his daughter. In 20 years. Right. Something like that. Because he, he just basically was, you know, he couldn't, he just was a mess. Anyway, she, unbeknownst to him, lived five miles from him. She saw the story in the paper. I walked into the hospital to see him, and there's this woman standing there who looks just like him, a younger version of him, a female. But it, they, that was, and he was just like, this is the best thing that could have ever happened to me before I die, I get to meet my daughter. 
Wait, so how did the first story end if he wasn't dead? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, the first was, story, it was just about him going into the hospital and the people coming in to see him. And then we made a decision. The second story was going to you know, follow him through. Because we talked to Duncan. I'm like, it's about you now. Because he was always like, it's not about me. It's not. Right. It's about the homeless. It was this dance we did with him. Yeah, and I he was trying to be really modest. It's not about me, but it's like Duncan. You you you're getting people to to want to do better. He started this. He was I mean he was rogue in so many ways. He started poetry groups for the homeless. He started, he started a homeless started garden. Homeless garden. He had art an group. art group. And that's still going. The oh, art is it group really? is still going. Yeah. Yep, he yep, had yep. um. He would have AA meetings out in the woods, and which is something you're not supposed to do. But yeah, it he, wasn't like AA sanctioned, and he let me go into the AA, which apparently is in a lot no, of right. the most sanctioned either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I was in there photographing and videoing in AA, so I was like... So you, you said a really this. fascinating thing about how it changed you. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious then, you guys, um, all these years of being storytellers, do you mm. look back and are there, are there, do the stories stand out because you feel like they changed you and somehow, somehow that, you know, it just stuck with you and it, you felt differently after you were mm. done? That one was the biggest one for me because that really showed me change, real change is possible. No matter what, it's possible. And it's like that was just, I mean, hope, so much hope there. Die too. Yeah, Die is a woman. I was, I went into a consignment, an art consignment shop for one thing, um, and I see this woman in the back of the parking lot and she's standing she's like just chain smoking and she's looking at this very ugly chair and so I go out to ask her you know like you know what are you doing and it's like it was some it was probably worth a lot of money before I mean it was she said it was like some 1880s reclining chair and she wanted to cover it reupholster it with leopard skin um as, yeah talk to strangers yes yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just talking because she's just staring at this chair it's like this and she said, you know, um, yeah, I've just become so much more creative ever since my son died. I was like, I'm so sorry. When did that happen? She said, four years ago. And and I, I I'm sorry. And I, she said, it was just the weirdest thing. And she talked about how she'd gone to work that day, and her husband was there watching his son. And the son, they believe, he decided to, to go into the backyard swimming pool. And he drowned. And she this said, was a small child? Yeah, he was four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mason was four. And, um, but she says, ever since his death, I've used art to, you know, art has just really helped me sort of like get all that, as she would say, get all that shit out of my head. Mm-hmm. And I said, can I do a story on you and your art? And, oh, and then she was just hilarious because she talked about, oh, yeah, yeah, but, if, you know, if you come out there, you know, I'm always in my garden. And that was her other thing. She said gardening. It's very therapeutic. Yeah, gardening and art. Her. Those are the things that have kept kept me alive. But she said, you can come out, but, you know, a lot of times I'm working in my garden. I don't have my, my shirt on. I'm out there topless. So if you don't mind. She doesn't want to have tan lines. Yes, yeah, she doesn't want to have tan lines. So if you <laughs> so if you come out there and I'm juggling, you could. And so I said, okay, I can get a female photographer. Although she did not ever do topless when I was <laughs> no. there. She always had her bathing suit on. But I knew it was, I just said, this is a Vicky story. Mm-hmm. Just because I knew that Vicky would be um, the kind heart that she needed. And I knew Di, Di was another she one. She was tough, though. Lord. Yeah, but she was another person mm. who was, um, I don't want it to be about me. I, but yeah. I said, your story could help a lot of people. And 
so when you, I mean, Die was just his character. We had great audio and mm-hmm. video. Um, mm-hmm. When you got her talking, she, I mean, she just, she was just a flood. And she said, damn it, Denise, you always make me cry. I don't know why I cry around you. I never cry except when I'm around yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. She's powerful. Yeah. And she, sometimes she would just start singing mm-hmm. um, in the middle of a conversation. So it made for great video. But so we spent, I think couple we months. met her a couple months. Yeah. And we ended, uh, when did we decide? Oh, we wanted to be with her. Um, the anniversary of her son's death is always a hard day. She releases balloons. And then the, his birthday is always a hard day. And it's a month later. But by the it's time... Summer sucks for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But by the time we got to his birthday, she's like, I don't think I need to, to release balloons anymore. So she evolved. It's like the mm-hmm. more she talked about it, the more she did a lot. I think we reached, we were very, you know, cathartic for her. I think so. A lot, that happens a lot, don't you think? It does. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it happens it to does. all of you. But she was like also, people. for me as a parent, our sons were like born a month apart or something yeah. mm-hmm. both kind of older parents you know and she you know everybody's who has a kid your biggest fear is your child dies but just to see how she came out the other side different but intact mm-hmm. and strong and funny right oh it's my like God. gave me comfort like okay if i lose my son I'll, i can i can i know somebody now that i can go oh, to yeah. and then there was that tension of because the the husband was there when he drowned and she said that she told him, I'm only going to ask you one time what happened. And whatever you say, I'll believe you. Mm. Um, I'm surprised they made it. Yeah. Which a lot of people don't. Yeah, but obviously. that was, so she there was that tension. She's, I think she, in the hospital, when she got to the hospital, and he was there, and she found out what had happened, he was trying to comfort her. She said, don't you fucking touch me. Don't touch me. You yeah. know, she was really like... And then she's like, I don't really remember the first year. I yeah. was just so drugged up. She goes, I don't remember the funeral. She said, people were, I was joking with people. They were, you know, everybody was bringing chicken. She goes, why do y'all, because she had a, I always, everybody's got to bring fucking chicken, you know, because she cusses a lot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it, it, that was another one. It was like, I had this personal takeaway mm-hmm. that was really like, whew, okay, I can do this. This happens to me. I can I love all three of you. I, it's like you're all so empathetic and you're all very curious and you're all willing to invest the time and energy mm-hmm. to get these stories. I mean, I'm just sitting, I'm listening and just sort of picking up on the, uh, mm-hmm. on what, on the commonalities. Well, something else you guys said that maybe this is a topic for another podcast altogether, but like that, that pitch of trying to convince your subject, like what's in it for them? Right. Why should this woman yeah. who's had three years to mourn her son or whatever right. open up again to all the, that hurt, all yeah. that angst, all that anger? You know, what's in it for her to do that? And mm-hmm. I, I find sometimes that's the part... I, I spend a lot more time on that now than I used to mm-hmm. in terms of like, what's my pitch going to be? You know, right. what's my pickup yeah. line going to be? Right. These people? Yeah. Why should you do this? Right. I know why I want to tell the story. Yeah. Right. But I try to hold back now in terms of like, well, what? why should you tell the story? Well, you're going to help a lot of other people who might mm-hmm. have been through the same thing. Or maybe you'll get to talk about something you haven't wanted to talk about mm-hmm. and get some closure for yourself, yeah. you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you'll be able to see yourself in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. as, as you walk someone else through this journey. I think that's what she, I don't think she realized how strong she was until she heard herself talk and she realized, and we're like, damn, die, you know, you really, and she didn't, she was, she didn't spare any details. Oh no. Yeah. Once you got her going, she, I mean, like, so like one night we went to her home and she still have a Christmas tree up. She hadn't taken it down. Yeah. And you know, yeah. Anyway. Well, the other thing I learned like too early probably in my career was like, 
when you have to go knock on the door or, or go write about somebody whose kid has died, whose wife has died, whose mother mm-hmm. has died, whoever it is, I usually say, like, this is the chance for you to keep them alive in a yes. way. Mm-hmm. You know, this is mm-hmm. a chance to not be the kid who drowned in the swimming pool, mm-hmm. but to bring Mason mm-hmm. back to life for readers and tell people who he was. Which sounds like know. a line, but it's also true. It's true, oh, it's true. Yeah. in a way. It's true. And so many times, yeah. especially, I mean, it's it's easier if you wait a little while after the tragedy. Yeah. But when I remember knocking on the door in the Outer Banks with the woman who'd lost her daughter and all her grandkids in, in this horrible Christmas Day wreck and, and thinking, like, why should she talk to me now? And all I could think of was, because otherwise he's just, they're just going to be the yeah. people that died on Christmas Day in the wreck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of uh, the Tanya McLean story. It was a freak uh, boating accident. Like um, the husband and sons were on a boat and she was supposed to go that night, but she had to work. And it was just this afternoon storm came up in the James and her husband and the two boys drowned and so she we, just lost everything yeah she lost everything and so we did it as a I mean of course it was a news story because it took like three or four days they found one boy and then they found the husband and then he found that story though didn't give me any hope <laughs> you know what I mean I mean dying. Vicky like Lane wants hope <laughs> I do and it but it you know you can't stay in that space very long with somebody who's lost you, you know, it's like I want to get in and I want to get out because mm-hmm. it's too, it hurts mm-hmm. so much just to be around them. Yeah. And then when you have a kid, forget about it. Right. You know, I was a lot stronger before I had a kid. But she, coming did, to these but she got to the point where she could have a daycare. She'd always wanted a daycare. But she, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah. She was not as far in, into her recovery no. as Di was. No, that was a, but that, a year had passed and she had always stuck because we didn't quote her in the initial stories because she couldn't talk about it. So, But she was always in my mind. And so I went to Linda McNatt who did the initial stories and I said, Linda, can you tell me where she lives so I could go? <laughs> Linda McNatt. Wow. Uh, Boy, she, there should be some quotes from her on that. <laughs> Do you remember what Chris Tyree said to her? No, what she said to Chris Tyree, wait, which which will take us full circle, because that was during Hurricane Floyd. Floyd. Yes. Yes, it was. 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 So the storm storm that that then got you guys on the Princeville story, but yes, so this was a senior reporter, uh, a woman who, let's let's put a visual to Linda, I mean. She 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 might listen, we need to be there. No, she's passed. She's passed now, but she. Speak up. Yeah. (laughs) She was nicknamed Beef, right? Beef, yeah, she was a very stocky woman and. She ate raw beef. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and, um. she was going out with. <laughs> you know what somebody said about her, and I. This is. If you can visualize this, she was like human cigar. Because <laughs> of her, I don't know. And some the way she was shaped or something, I don't know. So she goes down there with this young oh. uh, photographer, Chris Tyree, who we all love. Yes. Well, he may it have was even. An intern. He was an intern. Oh, was it? was yeah, an intern. In a rental car. In was a, it a rental car. car. All right, so you pick and it up. And George Bryant said, don't drive through standing water. So Chris was like, I'm not driving through any water. So they got to a place where the water was a little deep. And Chris is driving. And he's like, I'm not driving through it. She's like, just drive through it. And he's like, I'm not going to drive through it. She goes, move over, you pussy. Let me drive. <laughs> like... <laughs> And then she made him go, when they were stuck there a couple days, he had to go underwear shopping with her at the Cape. <laughs> Bonding. 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 With the human cigar. <laughs> with the human cigar. cigar. God love her. Linda. And, oh, and to come full circle again on that Red Horse story, when we were trying to do vignettes of all the all the guys who died, oh, yeah. I'll never forget Linda, because she was one of the ones who, who 
was charged with going to find out about one of these guys and some folks were just like, oh, no, I can't get anything, I can't get anything. Linda must have knocked on every fucking door in that town that. where she had to find this kid, and she did not give up until she came back with something. I yeah. mean, she was something else. <laughs> she but, was dogged. Yes. Anyway, yeah. so those were... <laughs> Linda McNatt. It's survive. fun to tell these war stories, isn't it? Yes. 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 Yep. Where are we yep. meeting yep. next? Shall we go somewhere else? Like New Orleans has oh. been fun. Let's pick another town. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, if you have a question for Lane about any of her stories or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.